Hello and welcome to X-Men Unraveled, the podcast covering the stories of mutants in chronological order. I'm Noelle, and this is part three of my series about Namor the Submariner. So far, I've covered Namor's childhood and adolescence, how he grew up under suspicion from other Atlanteans for being half-human, and his expedition to deal with the Unforgotten Stone. And today, I'm going to finish up the series with the events of Namor's life up to about 1958, when he has an unfortunate run-in with Professor Xavier. I'm generally going to follow the events as told in Saga of the Submariner. Um, it's a series that gathers the most important points of Namor's story uh, from over the decades. So let's jump right in. When Namor is 18, he starts to gain the respect of his grandfather, Emperor Thakor. The Corps was always concerned about the human side of Namor's heritage and was hesitant to fully accept him. But an incident in about 1939 caused the Corps to reevaluate his grandson. In Saga of the Submariner number 2, there is a retelling of Namor's first appearance in Marvel Comics number 1, which was published in 1939. In that story, we see Namor attack and kill two human divers. Saga of the Submariner goes on to tell how Namor brought the bodies to Emperor Thakor, but is horrified to realize he actually murdered two humans. He believed they were automatons because of their diving suits. Again, this takes place in 1939, so they're not very advanced suits, and it's easy to see how Namor could make that mistake, especially since he has basically no prior knowledge of humans or what they do. But his mother, Fen, assures him that it's totally okay to have murdered those two guys because he's done good work in renewing our war against the hated surface dwellers, something she spectacularly failed to do after she fell in love with Namor's father, the human Leonard Mackenzie. Emperor Thakor is also happy with Namor's actions and praises him, but Bira is there as well and sees a way to spin things to his advantage. Remember, he is the stepson of Thakor and feels that he should be heir in Namor's place since he's full Atlantean. So Bira whispers in Thakor's ear that wouldn't it be a great idea to finally send Namor, whose name means Avenging Son, to go and take the fight against the humans onto the surface, since he's the only Atlantean who can survive outside of the water. Thakor thinks that's a genius idea, so he orders Namor to go to the surface, scout out humanity's defenses, and destroy what he can. The story continues in Saga of the Submariner number 3, and Namor sets out and makes his way all the way to New York City. Namor actually thinks that all humans are Americans, because he doesn't realize there are many different countries and nationalities and ethnicities and so on. Um, and just for reference, remember his home is beneath the South Pole. So it seems like he could have found some humans a little closer to home, but New York City is where he ends up. Sometimes you just have to go with comic logic and not think about it too much. Namor's arrival in New York is a little comical, and I ended up feeling bad for him for just how pathetic it was. He spent the whole journey there just thinking to himself about how great he was, stronger than any other human or Atlantean, able to fly, and being able to make the journey all the way to New York on his own strength alone. But when he arrives in the waters outside New York City, he's surprised by the appearance of the surface world, all of the tall buildings and metal, it's like nothing he's ever seen before. 
So he swims up a river and then ends up getting pulled into a pipe that goes into a hydroelectric plant. And he's so sure of his own importance that he actually assumes it's a trap that the Americans have set for him. He is pulled all the way into the hydroelectric facility until he's able to break out of a pipe into the building, causing a huge flood and panicking all of the workers, obviously. Then when he jumps down onto the ground, he lands on an electrical grid and gets electrocuted. He gets super pissed and starts throwing things around and grabs a huge metal beam and hurls it at the poor workers who, you know, they're just trying to get to the end of the day and have no idea what's going on. Um, there's an armed guard in the building as well, and he shoots Namor, but the bullet just glances off of him and he's able to get out of the building. But he can't fly at the moment because the electric shock has rendered his little ankle wings useless, and so he just wanders out into the street, totally confused by the cars and buildings and everything else in the city. Unfortunately, he ran straight out in front of a cop car, and all they see is some dude running around in a Speedo, so they go after him. They chase him and trap him in an alley, so Namor picks up the cop car and throws it through the air. By now, I guess his wings have recovered from the electric shock, and he's able to fly away. Then for the next few days, he causes destruction across the city. He starts explosions and fires in buildings, rips up subway tracks, and throws vehicles and buses through the air, just generally wreaking utter havoc and terrifying the population of the city. The police are trying to catch him, but they're unable to, so they come up with a brilliant plan. They send a woman on the force named Betty Dean to try and stop Namor with her feminine wiles. She was apparently a swimming champion, so she pretends to be drowning out in, like, the harbor, and Namor sees her and rescues her. But when he does, she pulls out a gun and points it at Namor's head. He gets mad, obviously, because he thinks he just saved her life, and he just swats the gun out of her hand. And I don't know exactly what his plan was here, but he drags Betty out into the ocean by her hair and just keeps going until they get close to a ship, uh, but the ship suddenly explodes. Betty tells Namor that it's a British ship that must have been torpedoed by the Germans. Namor doesn't know what any of that means, but he's excited to learn that humans are not a unified people and that they are currently fighting against each other. So he leaves Betty on a buoy and goes to the ship to investigate. Apparently there's a nearby island, so he tells her just swim over there when you can. But before Namor can make it over to the ship, it's hit by another torpedo. And seeing the destruction, Namor is compelled to help those on board, even though they're humans and he was just about to go kill them himself. So he grabs the ship, pulls it to the nearby island where Betty has already arrived, and helps the men in the ship get to safety. Namor then goes over to talk to Betty, who briefly explains that Britain and France are fighting the Nazis, and he could help by taking out the U-boat. The U.S. isn't in the war at this point, it's only 1939. And Namor agrees to attack the U-boat, but not because he knows the difference between a Nazi or British or French, but just because he can attack a group of humans. So he swims after the sub just as it fires off another torpedo, and Namor is able to stop it and send it hurtling back toward the U-boat, sinking it. Namor returns to the island and Betty wants to recruit him for the war effort. She is American, but she explains that she's of British descent, so that's why she wants him to help, even though the U.S. isn't in the war. 
Namor tells her that he's not going to fight on any human side because they are all his enemies. So he returns to Atlantis to recruit warriors to attack any warships they can find, no matter whose side they're on. But the Atlanteans decline to help, saying they are not prepared to take on a war at the moment, so Namor goes back to New York alone. By this time, the police have brought in the Human Torch to fight Namor. This is the major events of Saga of the Submariner number 4. And this isn't the Fantastic Four Human Torch, it's another one that's actually an android. I'm not, I don't have time to get into that. Um, but this Human Torch and Namor get in a couple of fights. Uh, the Human Torch wins the first, and Namor wins the second, but neither can really manage to defeat the other. Their powers are pretty evenly matched, fire and water. In their last battle, though, Namor manages to imprison the Human Torch in an airtight tube, and so he's not able to use his powers once the oxygen is burned up. Then Betty Dean arrives to try and defuse the situation. She tells Namor that she and the Human Torch will try to forge an alliance between humans and Atlanteans. I don't know how they're going to do that, but this is apparently enough to satisfy Namor for the moment, and he returns to Atlantis. So after his adventures in New York, Namor returns to Atlantis for a time, and this takes place in Saga of the Submariner number 5. By this time, it's 1941, and the Nazis have learned of Atlantis and its inhabitants. And they launch an underwater attack on a totally unsuspecting Atlantis and wreak major destruction on the city. In response, Namor takes a fleet of whale-shaped submarines and pursues the Nazis, uh, the Nazis don't know that the whales are actually machines, and so they are totally unprepared for the attack, and the Atlanteans manage to destroy them. Namor returns to an Atlantis that is now lying in ruins, and when he gets back to the palace, he finds his grandfather, Emperor Thakor, gravely wounded. Thakor has fallen into a coma, and the Atlanteans don't know if he's going to survive. Princess Fen tells Namor that with the Emperor out of commission, he must take up the ruler's responsibilities. I don't know why she doesn't take up the responsibilities, since technically she's next in line, but they just gloss that over. Anyway, Bira is of course skulking around and jumps in to try and stop Namor, saying that Bira should be the one in charge. Namor attacks him pretty easily, but Fen jumps in and has the Atlanteans vote via a shouting match, basically, whether Namor or Bira will lead them and the Atlanteans enthusiastically choose Namor, and he is crowned. Of course, this only upsets Bira further. Namor's first act as acting emperor is to judge the traitor that gave the location of Atlantis to the Nazis. It turned out to be an Atlantean named Murano, who tells Namor that he has sworn allegiance to the Nazi Reich. As punishment, Namor banishes him. And on his way out, Murano taunts Namor and says that the Corps would have done the smart thing and executed him. But this is the first time Namor has acted as ruler, so it's understandable that he couldn't go through with ordering an execution, um, which he probably comes to regret later on. Namor then starts to consider what course Atlantis should take now that they've been dragged into the surface world's war. He ends up leaving Atlantis and joining with a few other heroes, including the Human Torch, Captain America, and Bucky Barnes, um, in a group called the Invaders. If I remember right, the Invaders at some point saved Winston Churchill, and he's the one who gave them the name Invaders, 
and the team goes on to help the Allied forces in Europe and the Pacific Theater. I don't have time to get into all of their exploits, but the invaders are a major help in defeating the Axis powers. During the war, they fought in numerous battles and faced super-powered villains who joined the enemy side. Uh, they faced the Nazis' Masterman and the Atlantean Murano, as well as others throughout the course of the war. In all, the group ends up fighting for four years of the war, and at the end, Namor returns to Atlantis in 1945. Namor's about 24 years old at this point, so he was pretty young when he experienced the horrors of war, and later he will struggle with PTSD over what he has seen and experienced. In Saga of the Submariner No. 6, Namor returns to Atlantis after the conclusion of World War II in 1945. And based on the reaction he received in Atlantis, he must have just left his duty to the Atlantean throne on the back burner. Which is understandable when you think of the scale of the war, but the Atlanteans don't know that. They're not getting any updates on what the humans are doing. They just know that they chose Namor as their leader, and he abandoned them. So when he reaches the borders of Atlantis, he is met by Bira, and Bira's main supporter, Commander Krang of the Atlantean military. They stop Namor from entering Atlantis and inform him that due to his long absence, Emperor Thakor has banished him. Namor is furious and threatens to enter Atlantis anyway, but just then, Fen and Dorma come rushing to stop him. Fen tells him that she will talk to Thakor and try to get Namor's banishment reversed, she says that after Thakur recovered from his coma, he was more susceptible to Bira's influence, and that's why he agreed to the banishment. So Namor leaves this time as an exile and returns to the surface world. After the war, the invaders team was officially disbanded, but the American government still wanted the heroes to keep working. So they renamed the team the All-Winners Squad. I don't know, I guess because they helped win the war... Like, what about the victors or vanquishers? I just feel like there were so many better name options. But with nowhere else to go, Namor rejoins the team and helps in various exploits, once even saving the life of JFK when he was a member of Congress. Two years into Namor's adventures with the All-Winners Squad, in 1947, he receives a message from Atlantis inviting him to birthday celebrations for his grandfather. Namor is ecstatic, believing his exile to finally be at an end. By now, he's really been away from his home for about seven years, living in a completely different world with no one who understands who he is or where he's from. So Namor travels back to Atlantis, but when he enters the city and gets to the palace, he finds everything strangely empty. Then he finds the bodies of several guards and knows that something terrible has happened. When he arrives at the Kor's chambers, his grandfather is slumped over in his throne, and Namor is terrified that he's dead. But as he rushes over to the Kor, Namora appears. Importantly, just a side note, because I talked about her last time, but by now she no longer has the blue skin of an Atlantean, as her mutant powers have manifested. And this is when they have the conversation about Namora having a human mother. Namora tells Namor that she recently returned to Atlantis with her father, and she helped Fen and Dorma convince the Kor to allow Namor to return. But 
Then Atlantis was attacked by a group of human divers looking for treasure, and they fought the Atlanteans and managed to take some of the Atlanteans' most prized possessions. The attack happened to be well-timed because many Atlanteans were away on an important pilgrimage, so the city's defenses were pretty low. Then Thakur wakes up and tells Namor that he's glad to see him returned, but that he must avenge the attack and return the treasures that the humans stole. So he and Namora go off to track down the thieves, um, ending up back in New York, and they're able to find and defeat them and get the treasures back. But Namor and Namora both end up staying in New York for two years, uh, working with the police officer Betty Dean. But in 1949, Namora returns again to Atlantis. After returning to Atlantis, Namor stays there for a few years with no major events, but in 1955, he ends up going back to New York in order to try and get Atlantis a seat in the United Nations. However, he hadn't realized that the United States was already caught up in the Cold War and hostile to outsiders. So when the Atlantean delegation arrives in New York City, the citizens start harassing them. They shout at them about the color of their blue skin, throw things at them, and just do whatever they can to try and get them to leave. And it just always makes me laugh when people complain about politics infecting Marvel these days, um, because there's a line in this part where some Americans say about the Atlanteans, no kid of mine's going to school with the likes of theirs, which is a pretty explicit reference to politics and history. And the whole story revolves around the hostility to outsiders that was a key part of the Cold War, highly political event, and the story's from 1988. So Cold War issues were still pretty relevant at that time. Anyway, as the Atlanteans nearly arrive at the UN building, a man charges up to them and points a gun at Namor. Obviously, he is not aware that bullets just glance off of Namor, so when he shoots, the bullet ricochets off of Namor and hits a passerby, a French tourist who dies of his injuries. The police step in at this point and stop Namor and the Atlanteans, and they tell them to either leave or they're going to be arrested for their own safety. So Namor leaves New York to go back to Atlantis, failing in his mission to have his people accepted among the nations of the world. When Namor arrives to give Thakur his report, he tells his grandfather that Atlantis is actually better off remaining separate from the surface world because joining them will risk getting involved in another human war. So Namor stays in Atlantis, helping with building and technological projects to improve the city, and at the same time, he and Dorma start a relationship. She had been in love with him for years, and he finally returned the feelings. Things remained peaceful in Atlantis until 1958, when the city was struck by a massive earthquake, as told in Saga of the Submariner No. 6. The Atlanteans immediately assumed that they are under attack from humans, and Namor leads a group of warriors to find the attackers and retaliate. They swim to the shores of Antarctica, but as they near land, they're hit by a concussive blast that kills everyone except for Namor. Namor climbs out of the water onto the ice to figure out who attacked him and killed his soldiers. He then finds a cave and goes inside to find a man dressed in basically just underwear and a cape who introduces himself as Destiny. 
This man is Paul Destine, the telepath who accompanied Namor's father, Leonard Mackenzie, on his expedition to the South Pole in 1920. Destine had been buried in a cave-in after discovering a piece of ancient technology, and everyone assumed that he died. But turns out, Destine survived, and he found an ancient relic called the Serpent Crown. This crown increased Destine's telepathic powers, and then he used the ancient machine to hibernate while the serpent crown increased his powers even further. So he's been sleeping and growing more powerful for almost 40 years. Now, awake from his hibernation, Destine has grown immensely powerful, renamed himself Destiny, and attacked Atlantis to test the power of the crown. Destiny, of course, explains all of this to Namor, like any good villain should, and Namor immediately rushes to attack him. But Destiny is able to fling Namor away with his powers, and then with Namor lying helpless on the ground, Destiny then shows him a vision of the destruction he will bring on Atlantis. He uses the power of the crown to cause another major earthquake in the city. This one causes the Atlantean palace to collapse, and both Emperor Thakor and Princess Fen, Namor's grandfather and mother, are killed in the collapse. Then Destiny attacks Namor with his telepathy, this time wiping Namor's memory of who he is and where he's from, and then he mind-controls him to go back to New York. It's not told here, but this is pretty much the end of the South Pole Atlantis, and the people there return to a nomadic way of life after the city is destroyed. When Namor arrives in New York this time, he doesn't remember anything about Destine, Atlantis, or even his own name. As he's wandering through the streets, he ends up recognized by a group of thieves as one of the invaders, and they attack Namor. But luckily, all of his powers are still there, so he's able to easily uh, defeat them. He then takes a coat and pair of pants from one of the thieves to disguise himself and try and survive in the city. The last story I want to cover takes place during the years that Namor is suffering from amnesia. It comes from Invaders No. 4 from 2019. So Namor at this time, it's 1958, he's living as a homeless man in New York, just surviving and staying in rundown buildings or homeless shelters. And in the older stories, that's all we know of that time. But the Invaders issue goes back and adds to the story of Namor's years dealing with his amnesia. In World War II, Namor met and fought with a soldier named Randall Peterson. They became friends, and after the war, Namor would occasionally go visit Randall and stay at his home and visit with him and his family. At the time, Namor was struggling with the effects of PTSD, and having that safe, calm place to stay seemed to help him cope. Later, when Namor was lost and struggling with amnesia, he accidentally makes his way back to Randall Peterson's house. He had come across Randall's daughter, Nay, who was now grown up and living in New York City. She was pregnant and needed to get home to her family. Namor didn't have any memory of who she was, but he helped her get back home. When they get there, Randall, of course, immediately recognizes his old friend, and they don't know what happened to Namor, um, but they realize he's in a difficult time and doesn't know who he is. So they let him stay, and he becomes basically part of the family. He stays for years with the Petersons and becomes kind of a father figure to Nay's son, Roman. Over time, Namor slowly started to get his memories back, but he had trouble making sense of them. 
The memories of the war were especially traumatic, and he suffered from nightmares. But the Petersons were great. They continued to take care of him and helped him through dealing with the return of his memories. Until one day, another man shows up at the home. It's Charles Xavier looking for other mutants. Cue some scary villain music as Charles arrives at the house. So Xavier this time is searching for other mutants like him, and Namor happens to be the first one he found. He talks to Namor and reveals that Namor is also a mutant. Xavier stays for a while trying to recruit Namor, and eventually Namor agrees to join in Xavier's search for other mutants. The Petersons are not happy about Xavier's arrival and intrusion upon Namor's life. They know Namor's mental state is fragile, and Nay says that, quote, Xavier had his hooks in him, and there was nothing that they could do to stop Namor from leaving. It does say a lot about Xavier, who can literally see into people's minds that he would bring Namor along like this. I don't think you would need to be a telepath to realize that Namor was not in the best condition to take on this endeavor, um, but Charles Xavier tends to think of his own goals, not how he affects others. It comes out later in the story that Xavier uses his powers to calm Namor when any sort of trauma comes up, but of course, that is taking away the chance for Namor to heal from everything that he's been through, which is a lot. So Xavier leaves with Namor, and they start traveling all over the place looking for other mutants. They really only have rumors to go off of, because Xavier isn't able to effectively use his powers to find mutants at this point, and he doesn't have Cerebro to help either. So their searches turn up no one, and Namor is starting to get frustrated with the situation. His mental state is also deteriorating, since he was recuperating before Xavier took him away. One day, the two of them are at a diner, following up on a rumor of some cat people in the area, hoping that they're mutants. But as they're at the diner, Namor's temper flares up. He starts getting mad at Charles and realizes that he wants to go home to Atlantis. He's been on the surface for too long. But just as he's speaking, there is an incident outside of the diner. There's a man outside in a standoff with the police and Xavier realizes that the man is the mutant that they've been looking for, and that they've finally found another one. This mutant is called Genus, and he can change the species of any living being. He had been turning, I guess, stray cats into people, so that was where the original rumor of cat people came from. Those poor cat people. God. <laughs> anyway, Namor and Xavier rush out into the street, and Xavier takes psychic control of the police officers to stop the standoff. Xavier then tells Namor that he believes the man can use his powers to turn humans into mutants and accelerate the evolution of humanity. Namor is like, you are fucking stupid. He grabs him and asks him if he realizes what humans would do if they got hold of this man. He tells Xavier that humans would just use Genus as a weapon against mutants if they ever got a hold of him by turning mutants into humans. And as Namor yells at Charles, he is also choking him and Charles loses psychic hold of the police officers. And when he does, one of the officers shoots Genus. Namor rushes over to Genus and holds him as he dies, and Genus whispers that he only did what he did because he was lonely. This is just too much for Namor, and it sets him off on a rampage. He flies into the air carrying a cop car and calls all the humans monsters. 
Then Xavier uses his telepathy to stop Namor telling him that he's just lashing out in pain. And then Xavier goes into Namor's mind and memories, telling Namor that he'll help fix his mental trauma. It's like, now, Charles, now you want to do that? What have you been doing? You've been with him for who knows how long. Weeks, probably. Anyway, they enter a memory of Namor's from the war when he was unable to save a soldier named Tommy. And Xavier creates a mental projection of Tommy to try and get Namor to open up and talk. But Namor sees straight through the illusion and lashes out at Charles, asking what he's done. Then Namor's able to cast Charles out of his mind, and he leaves. Charles wakes up on the ground, and Namor is gone. Nay Peterson, Randall Peterson's daughter, is the one relaying the story in the Invaders issue, and she says that Xavier tried to fix Namor, but ended up damaging him more than ever. At this point, Namor relapses back into his amnesia, returns to New York City, and the vagrant life that he was living before. He ends up staying that way for years, until he is eventually discovered by Johnny Storm, the human torch from the Fantastic Four. And that is it for the story of Namor today. It's not a happy ending, uh, because Charles Xavier is involved. Um, it seems like Namor could have healed if he had enough time in the sanctuary he found with the Petersons, but Xavier's focus on his own goal made him just flat out ignore what Namor needed. Later in the comics, it's also introduced that Namor suffers from bipolar tendencies, if not bipolar disorder itself. And from what I could find, this seems to be tied to long exposure to the surface world and Namor's oxygen levels. So Namor's desire to return to Atlantis, like he told Charles Xavier, might have actually helped him. But the events with Xavier meant that he didn't go back when he wanted to or needed to. We'll catch up again with Namor later on, but that ends my series on him for now. I hope you enjoyed these episodes about a very unique mutant. I had a lot of fun reading his story, so I hope you all liked the detour uh, from regular X-Men characters. He'll definitely return in later episodes, and I can't wait, actually, to get to the next story. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back next time with stories about Logan and some other mutants that I've covered before. In the meantime, you can check out my Instagram or Twitter for any updates and pictures at X-Men Unraveled. Talk to you next time, and remember to give people the time and space that they need to heal. 